Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. Back at you for the Tuesday edition, the Monday Night Football and Week 5 wrap-up. Before we get into things, and I'm going to have all the advanced stats, go over some of the grading here. I'm going to give you a wrap-up of how my, quote-unquote, for entertainment purposes only, best bets went. And we're pretty successful uh, last week. And uh, the key to what we're talking about today is, of course, is going to be what I was calling my game grades last week. And that is the adjusted scores, which account for more random plays, downweighting those, downweighting some of the outliers, downweighting special teams and other things that may not be as repeatable going forward to give you what the score would have been based upon the more stable metrics in these games, uh, including looking at adjustments for turnover worthy plays versus actual turnovers, drops versus how big of an impact those had in different games. And that can give you a better idea of how you should feel about the team's performance. That's not exactly the bottom line, not exactly just the results that you end up seeing there. But before we get into anything, I want to highlight the fact that we have a new way for our different listeners to support the podcast here, to let PFF know that you enjoy the stuff that I'm doing. And that is, if you want to subscribe to PFF, to get an Edge or an Elite subscription. Edge subscription has all the fantasy stuff you need, uh, player grades, and so on and so forth, different showdown stuff that I'm doing. The Elite subscription has everything, and then beyond that, it has additional things like the expected fantasy points tool. It has all of our betting tools that I use heavily here, our green line betting tools and player props. To get either one of those, 25% off. Uh, this goes through basically the end of November from now using promo code unexpected to make sure people know you're coming specifically from this pod. So again, promo code unexpected at PFF, 25% off any PFF subscription. Okay, uh, first let's get into Monday Night Football, uh, Ravens Colts. I'll cop to the fact that I actually went to sleep a little bit early, so I had to catch up and uh, East Coast, East Coast dad life over here, and I had to catch up on the game this morning. What a wild ride that it was. So just to get the particulars out of the way, 31 to 25, the Ravens win in overtime. The, uh, the line was seven. The Ravens were favored by seven. So, uh, you know, unfortunate for those who, who placed a little wager on the Ravens there. Didn't quite get it, but kind of lucky to get to overtime in the first place. And But according to my game grades that I put through here with the adjustments, the Ravens, I had it being about 35 to 30. And so both offenses performed better than their actual scores in this game, uh, primarily because of a big turnover for the Ravens. And then for the Colts, they missed not one, not two, but three field goals. So I know this kind of felt like a game where maybe the Colts were the superior team and the, and the Ravens were lucky to win. But the thing was that that fumble was enormous. We're talking about a seven EPA fumble that Lamar Jackson had near the goal line as they were about to punch that in. So that was a really big one. And while you could say that it's not as very as, you know, it's not as much variance as missing three field goals, it still is a somewhat random play. So there's that. Number two is the offense that the Ravens ran was actually better from a success rate and an EPA per play perspective. Um, Their success rate was 58%, which is really, really high. And one of the reasons is that they passed it at 11% over expectation. Now, the Ravens are a team where if you look at the last two years, in 2019 and in 2020, they were a team that their pass rate versus expectation was anywhere between 5 to 9% under expectation. This year, they've really had to move their entire offense to be more focused on the pass and what Lamar Jackson is doing. We saw him put up over 300 yards in the second half last night. So they're moving further and further towards that. One, I think because he's stepping forward in that area. But another reason is they just stink running the ball. They had a 58% overall success rate, but only a 23% success rate running the ball, which is very, very low. So the reason they were able to get so high there is because they were well over 60% success rate passing the ball on their dropbacks, which is extremely high and extremely good. So it's an area where the Ravens are really shifting that offense. And I don't know if it's going to continue going forward necessarily, but I thought I was a little bit skeptical of the fact that they were going to be able to maintain high offensive performances without the running game being there. But so far they're doing it. 
Um, and, and, you know, I'll say credit to them, although part of it was driven by being so behind in the score, but credit to them for the fact that they shifted over more towards the passing game. And they said, you know what, we're going to pass it a lot more than expectation, despite being down. So they, they passed it a lot, even though the expectation was factoring in the, the, the score differential. Because without that, they would have lost that game. I mean, they were at a negative five, negative half a point EPA every single design run, which is bad, bad, bad. And that doesn't even account for the fumble. I took the fumble out of there. That's just how bad they were with their normal design runs there. I mean, there were a ton of big plays in either direction. For anyone who watched that, you could get a, a good idea of that. You could see that um, they had the long play to Michael Pittman. They had the screenplay to start the game to Jonathan Taylor, which ended up being huge. Um, so those were just big, big plays. So again, that brings down the Colts a little bit as far as the numbers are concerned because their success rate wasn't as good as their EPA per play because of those, those big plays. So again, we were in a way, we're going to rely a little bit more on success rate than EPA per play in our numbers. Uh, I think for the Colts, it's a little bit of a quandary here. I mean, you're one and four now, but Carson Wentz had his best game of the season, continues to have zero turnover worthy plays on the season, but he had been a low upside quarterback going into this game. And he showed a lot. He showed a high upside uh, in, in this game, right. With those big plays. And I think the quandary for the Colts is now at one and four, they're looking at a potential top 10 pick that they're going to give up. If Carson Wentz plays 75% of the snaps this year, I don't know what you can do as a team though. If you continue to struggle the rest of the season, I mean, you have a while to make this, make this decision as far as whether you want to sit him out, let him rest up once you're out of playoff contention near the end of the year. But for now, you know, your playoff chances are, are extremely low at this point. If we're going to look at to make the playoff odds right now for, um, for the Colts, let's go to our friends at DraftKings, who we'll talk about later. So if we go to the make the playoffs odds, the the no is minus 200 right now. So very much leaning in that direction. I think that's going to be something to watch going forward because they need to think about, are we going to rest Carson, not put him out there, which will allow us to move that pick that we're giving up for him to the second round, to the early second round instead of the early first round, which would be something massive to give up, especially if you have no chance of making the playoffs. Uh, for the Ravens, you know, I keep saying that I'm a little bit skeptical of them because of the fact that they can't run the ball and how sustainable that will be. Well, Lamar Jackson is proving me wrong week after week after week here, and they have Rashad Bateman potentially coming back next week. So uh, congratulations to him starting to believe in them a little bit here, but the defensive performance was definitely disappointing from the Ravens. They weren't able to get pressure on uh, Wentz and they, were, and they gave up big plays, which he just has not been making at all so far this season. Okay, let's go to the other biggest game of the weekend, I would say, and that's the Sunday night football game, the Chiefs versus the Buffalo Bills at home versus the Buffalo Bills. Final score, Buffalo 38-20. The closing line was Chiefs minus three. The adjusted score I have here is much closer than the final score, although still a solid Bills win. I want to emphasize this. It was 29-23 was my adjusted uh, game grades on this. But I want to emphasize something here. This is a podcast that is going to want to talk about things in relation to some of the larger consensus narratives that are going on out there or ideas that are going on out there. Uh, you'll see me, if you follow me on Twitter at Kevin Cole PFF, you'll see that I make fun of power rankings sometimes, like power rankings where the Chiefs are mostly 10th in power rankings right now. Uh, I've seen them as low as 13th. Uh, they were below the Panthers and the Saints in one power ranking here. And theoretically, the power rankings should be just about who are the best team, right? So I realize the Chiefs are two and three, but you have to think about this from the perspective of, well, what's really going on? Like, let's check into markets where people are actually putting their money where their mouth is. And if you look at the betting markets right now, the Chiefs are still third in their Super Bowl odds behind the Bucks and the Bills. And they're slightly behind the Bills as far as winning the conference is concerned but they're not that far behind. They're still right up there. This is still a very, very dangerous team. So a lot of what I'm going to say here, I'm not going to be you know, lauding praise as much as you might think on, on the Bills or on other teams who are winning and playing well, just because you're hearing a lot of that out there. You can get that 
from a lot of different places. Tune into you know NFL Network if you want to hear about why the Bills are the the best team and head and shoulders above the Chiefs right now. What I'm going to tell you is I'm going to put things into perspective and give you some ideas on where you may want to push back against what you're hearing. So again, so it was more like a six point loss, even though they ended up losing by 18. Again, still a bad loss, still a game they were favored to win by three that they ended up losing by, you know, 18 and should have lost by six. So a bunch of huge mistakes for Kansas City. Once again, that's been one of their problems so far this year um, is how much EPA they're losing on these different mistakes. They had 25 EPA that they lost on a combination of the drop from Tariq Hill, which ended up being an interception return for a touchdown, the tipped INT near the goal line where the, the outside alignment, I think it was Owe, tipped it to, him, to himself. I'm oh, no, sorry, no, no, I'm sorry. Rousseau always on the, um, on the Ravens. I think it was Rousseau who tipped it to himself. Got my rookies mixed up. And they also had two fumbles. One was off of a kickoff return. I think it was Byron Pringle. And another one was Mahomes just kind of flubbed a, uh, a shotgun snap. So 25 lost EPA on all those different plays. So that gives you an idea of the magnitude of all those different mistakes and how difficult it is to win, especially against another high-level team when you do stuff like that. So what I think is interesting is people may be looking to this Buffalo defense like, you know, lights are going off, like they've figured out in some way how to play against Kansas City. And I think what they did effectively well was they did have a good strategy. But it's pretty similar to the strategy that they had last year when they faced each other in the regular season in Buffalo. For those who remember those get that game, it was really a somewhat sloppy performance on both sides. It was in the rain. Uh, Patrick Mahomes came up with some clutch third down conversions, which ended up moving things forward in that game. They let Kansas City run the ball a ton, and they did run the ball a ton. They ran it a lot more effectively in that game than they did in this game, let me tell you, uh, because Kansas City, they were giving them Extremely light boxes. I think they had light, what we consider light box. So uh, five or fewer players in there on, you know, 80% of the snaps and Kansas City still couldn't run the ball well. Even taking the fumbles out, um, they had a negative 0.1 EPA per play. So a poor EPA performance there. Zero blitzes for Buffalo. People have talked about that a lot. But again, you go back to last season when they faced each other in the regular season, they only had one blitz that entire game. They blitz a bit more in the playoffs, and obviously, Casey exploded against them. So I don't know if that was a strategic change, if that was a change because of they were playing for, from behind somewhat early around halftime in that game. So I would be a little slow to say, like, oh, this maybe they figured out Kansas City. I mean, what they were able to do was generate pressure on Mahomes only with the front four. And maybe this is part of this is, is the rookie Rousseau. Maybe part of it is the other players starting to come to play in there. Um, but they got a 25% pressure rate with zero blitzes, whereas Kansas City was only a 20% pressure rate and they were blitzing 40% of the time. And I think that's a big, big factor is the fact that the Chiefs are blitzing 40% of the time. They only got one hit, zero sacks, right? Um, Josh Allen, his average depth of target was 12.8 yards versus only 6.7 for Mahomes. So he was playing this long, long game, despite the fact that the Chiefs were supposedly bringing pressure. And if you look at the top five plays that Allen made during that game, I know everyone wants to kill the Kansas City defense, kill um, you know guys on the, on the back end for leaving open plays. And I think there is some truth to there were some mistakes there, obviously, on, on the back end for what was going on. But I do think that. Another issue, uh, especially people talking about Daniel Sorensen, you know, people are getting on him a lot about leaving, leaving things open. I think the long play to Diggs, he got burnt on. I'll give you that. But then the play to um, Dawson Knox down the sideline that everyone's saying that he kind of just lost coverage. Josh Allen, he threw that ball at 5.5 seconds was his time to throw on there. That's a massive number. And if you look at the big plays that Allen made, his top five EPA plays, I'm going to rank them one through five by his time to throw. Four seconds, 5.5 seconds, 3.8 seconds, 5.1 seconds, and 4.4 seconds. He had all day to throw the ball. So I think you're asking a lot of the back end of that defense. If you're going to bring, sometimes bring extra guys, make them play man on man, man, man to man on the back end a decent amount, especially like in that Knox play. That's obviously what they were doing. And then expect them to cover guys for five, six seconds 
against Josh Allen, who can put the ball almost anywhere on the entire field. You can't relax, right? And that's what Sorensen did on that play. So while I blame him for the coverage, I think we need to talk more about what's going on holistically with that defense. If they're going to bring pressure, you've got to get to the quarterback. And if you're, you can't expect your back end to hold up for that long all the time. Things are going to fall apart if you have to hold up for five, six seconds against someone like Josh Allen. And that's what ended up happening in this game. But generally, my takeaway from this game would be, let's fade the noise a little bit. Let's realize that things are going to get better for the Chiefs. They just had maybe the best offensive performance of the entire NFL the prior week in Philadelphia. So let's not pretend like the offense is broken or anything like that, or that the Bills solved them because teams were doing this to Kansas City last year, and then they ended up exploding later on in the year. Um, But the Bills had this perfect formula of being able to get pressure and kind of constrict that pocket a lot, even when they weren't getting pressure. And being able, without bringing any extra defenders and stopping the run at the same time. I think that is key. We don't like to talk about, you know, the run too much here because we're nerds, obviously. But they were able to, to stop the run better than you would think there. And, you know, Kansas City, they were extremely effective running the ball against Philadelphia. When Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was able to run downfield and basically, you know, run free downfield. He was getting five, six, seven, eight yards down the field without anyone there. That wasn't happening this time. Uh, So Casey did have to pass the ball quite a bit, and they were up at an 80% pass rate in this game, but that mostly because they were down so, so much. Okay, let's get into the next game here, and that is going to be, I'm going to go by kind of most interesting, I would say. And that is the Chargers versus the Browns. A lot of talk here, the Genius Bowl. Uh, Staley versus Stefanski. Chargers end up winning 47-42. The closing line was um, Chargers minus two and a half. I think when I talked to you guys on Friday, it was two. It went up to two and a half. So the adjusted score, and this is probably the biggest um, dissonance between adjusted score and actual score, the Browns 31-27. So the Browns were four points better than the Chargers, even though they lost by five points. And this is also a game where If you remember when I talked last Friday, I did not recommend this as one of my my four plays, but I probably should have. It was according to the numbers. The Browns, according to the numbers, were the right play at a two-point underdog at the Chargers. I hesitated because I didn't know what was going on with Baker Mayfield's shoulder. So this kind of this weird situation where I probably shouldn't, I probably chickened out. It shouldn't have hesitated on Baker Mayfield. You know, the struggles he was having were more likely to be noise than to actually be about the shoulder. And, but the right play, which would have been betting the Browns in this game, actually ended up losing. So it's kind of this weird back and forth sort of thing where I don't take the L, but I kind of take a, a process L, not saying uh, bet the, the Browns in this game because they were, in fact, the better team. So, why, why did this happen? Well, the Browns, 54% success rate versus only 44% for the Chargers. And the rates are very consistent for the Browns, running the ball and passing the ball. They were a dominant, dominant offense in this game. A more dominant offense, honestly, than the Chargers were. So what did the Chargers do that ended up giving this game? And, you know, this may be a difference of opinion for some people, whether or not you want to classify these as being more random plays that shouldn't count as much, that should be discounted. They had 25 EPA on third and fourth down conversions. That's a huge, huge number for the Chargers there. That is the largest EPA gain on late down conversions for any team since week one of 2019, where the Ravens were playing against the Dolphins and they had like a billion points and they were converting everything. So if you look at Herbert on early downs uh, per dropback, his EPA per dropback was 0.1, which is, eh, you know, is a maybe 55th, 60th percentile type of thing. And then on late downs, he was gaining 1.2 EPA per dropback on late downs. Huge, huge number. Uh, You know, they're converting all of these fourth downs, right? If you look at the Chargers offense only, I'm not going to count the special teams where they tried to throw the ball with the punter and then Hunter Hunter Renfro came up and made made the play. I'm not going to count that. So everyone's talking about the Chargers and you know their aggression and the brilliance of Staley. And again, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna push back against that a little bit. Not because I don't think that he is brilliant, and not that I don't think that he's making great aggressive plays. But again, I'm gonna want to contrast a little bit against what you're hearing elsewhere, right? 
Um, the Chargers are nine for nine converting fourth downs when they're using their offense, not when they're using the punter, when they're using the offense. Nine for nine this season, including when they've needed nine yards one time, they needed eight yards another time, they needed seven yards another time, including two defensive pass interferences on these longer ones, one against the Chiefs and one in this Browns game, which ended up being huge. You know, the Browns lost 5.4 EPA on penalties, largely because of that play there. So I give credit where credit is due for Staley for making the decisions, but I'll also say it's easier from a courage perspective to make these decisions when your offense literally has not been stopped on fourth down anytime you've decided to go and you're deciding to go on the fourth and nine situation against Kansas City, which is probably a bad call, actually. And then in this game, when they were going for it on fourth and six, I think it was, uh, fourth and seven, that it was a toss-up that they ended up getting it. Now, what I really liked was them going for it at fourth and two from their own 30 um, in the, was the first half or second, I can't remember if it was the second quarter or third quarter, but I really liked that call because that's one where teams are not doing it enough and it was a good play there. Uh, so Baker, he was under, he wasn't really under pressure. So he had a pretty good performance here, but he had his usual dynamic. And this is the concern with Baker Mayfield. When you talk about wanting a quarterback who can quote unquote, get you a bucket is he's had this same dynamic for this season, for much of last season. And in particular, it was highlighted in this game, which is near the top of the league, as far as his efficiency from a clean pocket, very, very poor under pressure near the top of the league with his efficiency using play action poor without play action near the top of the league on early down, which kind of fits into less likely to see pressure, more likely to use play action top at early downs. Not so good, like bottom half, bottom third of the league on late downs. So he's not like, he's kind of the opposite of what Justin Herbert has been this year and why people are raving about Herbert. And I do think Herbert is the type of guy who can consistently get you those third downs, but what they're doing so far this year is kind of nuts, right? Like they're already have, have gotten more EPA gain on third downs this season where they've gone for, you know, one quarter of the third downs that they went for last season. So they had positive EPA last season, but now they're getting EPA at a rate of four times what they did last season. And last season they had negative EPA on fourth downs this season. So far they have, you know, 20 plus EPA on fourth downs, a huge, huge number. Uh, the Browns did control the style in this game, and I don't know how long it'll continue. They'll continue to be able to drive so much, um, so much EPA running the ball, but they are, you know, head and shoulders above the rest of the league. They're over 2.2 EPA per play, which puts them as a top five, would put them at a top five passing team by far the best actually running the ball at that rate. Uh, they only passed it 51.5% of the time, despite this huge score, right? They put up 42 points. Uh, 5.7% under expectation, but I'm not really mad about that because of the fact that they're running the ball so well and they're winning there. I, you know, keep on going with this, with what's happening here. Um, you know, Herbert's passing grade wasn't that great in this game. Um, he only had 56% completion percentage. He had some negatives on missing some plays, although he had no turnover worthy plays here. So I think there were a couple of little interesting game management situations that happened in this one. The first one, which went relatively unnoticed, but I want to bring up because it was something that uh, my man, Ryan Paganetti, when he was on there, that he mentioned that I really liked a lot, which was if you have, this is a situation where the Browns had the ball um, within the 15 yard line, I think it was, and they were fourth and five. Actually, it was closer than that, I think. But anyway, it was fourth and five. It was pretty close. It was one where it was like, you know, maybe you go for it, maybe you don't go for it. It was probably leaning towards not uh, going for it. And rather than just, uh, rather than just kick the field goal in that situation, right? Just say, okay, you know what? We're going to go ahead and, and just kick this field goal. What they did was they decided on fourth and five, um, that they were going to try to draw them off sides. And then in most situations, teams will say, you know, we'll take the time out there and we'll, we'll not go back five yards. But the thing is, it was only a 35 yard field goal after the penalties. You went from a 30 yard field goal to a 35 yard field goal. Go ahead and take that penalty, save your timeout. And your chance of making the kick is still extremely, extremely high. So they did that. This is a situation that Ryan Paganetti talked about. They, 
used a hard count to try to get a potential first down off of that. If you don't get it, you're taking a penalty, which is negligible in its effect to go back five more yards and kick and kick that. So that was a small thing that they did, which I thought was interesting and was a play that you wouldn't see most coaches do, despite the fact that it is a smart play and something that Ryan had had diagnosed. And I'm just looking at our numbers. We actually had it towards kicking the field goal on both of these tries here. So, you know, Stavansky was not making the right, the wrong move there. And the other big thing that happened, and this obviously would have been huge, huge if the Browns scored a touchdown on the last drive, which was when Eckler went in and the Browns carried him into the end zone, right? To get the ball back quicker so they could try to score a touchdown down by six. And if you listen to what was said after this, I don't remember if it was Jeremiah Wusu Koromora or as one of the players on the defense for the Browns said they specifically practiced this. And that's just like mwah, chef kiss, right? Like they're not only thinking about these situations in the moment, but you have to prepare players in advance for these very, very high leverage situations. So they were thinking about advance and they were told, hey, we're in one of these situations here where we want them to score as quickly as possible. So they had practiced just basically pulling the guy into the end zone, which is what they did with Eckler on this play. And I don't think Staley will do this going forward. I mean, it, some, you know, I'll give him some benefit of the doubt that he probably didn't think of another coach being smart enough to, to pull his player into the end zone. But next time, you know, take the knee. The Browns, I think, only had one timeout at that point. Take the knee a few times and kick the field goal and win the game with no time left. This is the second time they did this against Kansas City also. This is the second time this year where Staley has chosen not to just run out the clock and kick the field goal and win the game, but instead give the opponent a chance to come back and win. It hasn't burnt him either time. But even if you say your kicker is bad, think about from a probability standpoint, giving the ball to the opponent with a minute 30 left, right? Is that, are they more likely to score a touchdown in that circumstance than you are likely to miss the kick, right? So that, that, that's the point that you're talking about here. So even if you say your kicker struggling, like what percentage chance does Baker have of driving him down and scoring a touchdown with a minute 30, a full minute 30 left? I mean, it may not be that high. I don't know how high it is. 10%, 15%, 20%. Does your kicker, no matter how bad, poorly your kicker is playing, in perfect conditions, the shortest field goal possible, do they have a greater than 10% chance of missing that field goal? Of course not. So you just take the knees and you kick the field goal. You don't, you don't think, oh, my kicker is struggling, so therefore I'm not going to do it. I don't know if he was thinking that, but that's the reply I got from some people um, on Twitter where, you know, selection bias here, Twitter's kind of self-selected for maybe not the most nuanced conversations on these things. But so just think about, so the potential mistake from Staley there, I think some people complained about the Browns um, being a little too conservative. And I think they were probably on the last drive, but they did try to throw it on second down um, the last drive before they gave it back to the chargers. You know, they ran the ball to run some clock, they threw it incomplete, and then they ran the ball again. So on third and 10, they could have tried to pass it and pick things up. They decided to run it instead. I think maybe they've had a little bit too much success on these long third downs, running the ball and picking it up sometimes. That's why it came down to that. So I'm not going to hit them too hard on that. I think some people were kind of pulling their hair out and, and getting upset at Stefanski and maybe should turn over the play calling to Alex Van Pelt. I mean, let's calm down, guys. They scored 42 points in this game and had an awesome offensive performance. They didn't end up winning, but let's not flip the entire script based upon what happens in those circumstances. All right, before we get on to the next one, I just want to hit an ad here for DraftKings. Again, we're going to be discussing not only my game grades here, but also some of the bets that I had. We haven't gone to yet, but successful week. Uh, another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game to win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was 1943, so I'd say this is a no-brainer. If the sportsbook is not available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can get huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot and a million dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Throw down $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code PFF. DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wagered, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. 
gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, next game we're going to hit here is the London game. I'm going to go more in order of what happened here. So the London game, Falcons versus officially the home team, uh, even though it's in London, against the Jets. 27-20, it closed at Falcons minus two and a half. The adjusted score here was 27-21, so almost exactly what the actual score was. An easy cover here for the Falcons. Um, Matt Ryan, I don't know what's going on with this guy. He must have visited the uh, TB12 clinic after week three because he's been awesome the last couple of weeks. He's had three big-time throws in this game, 371 yards. He had three big-time throws the week before. No turnover-worthy plays the last two weeks after not being negative on that ratio going into week four. Uh, some people may throw in his week three game as a positive because superficially it was with two touchdowns and no interceptions, but he, he had a bad game and he had three turnover worthy plays that didn't end up being turnovers and the offense just kind of stunk generally in that game. So we're not counting that one. Uh, the Jets got pressure on Ryan, but then he just really killed it under pressure. 30% pressure rate, but he had, he was generating 0.27 EPA per pressure drop pack, which is an awesome number for under pressure. Second best of the week to Tom Brady. And we saw a lot of those plays that Tom Brady was making under pressure this week. Uh, for Zach Wilson, they talked about in the game a lot of what I had mentioned about him, which is he has trouble doing the in-structure stuff. He has big play potential outside of that, but he just is, you know, he's spiking balls into the ground on little rollouts, um, screens, wide receiver screens. He's throwing in poor locations. He's just not doing the easy stuff. I don't know if he's thinking too much. I don't know if it's a situation where he's trying to be a little too cute, I think, with his footwork sometimes. But, you know, zero big time throws in this game. So he didn't give the high end also. He, so he had trouble with the low end stuff and didn't give the high end. Um, the Falcons got a 35% pressure rate, but then, you know, Wilson's time to throw was 3.1 seconds. Um, so it's not really that high for the fact that he was holding the ball so much. So the Falcons didn't run, uh, rush the ball well, but luckily they turned things over and they passed it way over expectation uh, with Ryan. So they're turning things over to him. And then, you know, Kyle Pitts had the big breakout here, right? Without Ridley there, without Gage there, Kyle Pitts turned out well. And I think it's, it bodes well. I'm starting to believe a little bit in Ryan in this offense going forward. I thought that he might be cooked because of the lack of the high-end plays, but he's brought those back the last couple of weeks. And, you know, the Jets actually ran the ball consistently well to stay in this one. They had a 53% success rate running the ball versus Falcons were only at 39%. So that's what kept them in there, really, was they were able to run the ball decently effectively. The Falcons had a bunch of drops, which played into that a bit on offense. And they were getting pressure. So they were making things difficult for Matt Ryan. He was just performing really, really well in difficult circumstances to win that game. Okay, next one, uh, the missed field goal fest. The Bengals at home versus the Packers, 25-22 Packers, where they finally ended up making a field goal after four, five misses in a row. And uh, this closed at Packers minus three, so that ended up being right on the number. And my adjusted score was basically 22-22, a little bit better for the 22.4 to 22.1 for the Packers. So this is a lucky push for Packers betters, I would say, on this one. An incredible finish, five missed field goals. Not great offense for either team in this game, but there were big plays. Um, it was similar to the dynamics going into this game where I said Burrow and Rodgers this season had been really, really great from clean pockets and really, really poor under pressure because they're not facing pressure that often, but when they are, they're taking sacks. And this happened in this game once again. Three sacks for Burrow, two sacks for Rodgers after Burrow had been able to avoid sacks for the most part of the last couple of games. And... You know, but they both were not pressured that much in this game. So they weren't pressured that often, but again, taking sacks and not playing well there. Uh, the Packers had a lower success rate, 40% overall for their offense and their plays versus 46, but they had a higher EPA per play. Horrible numbers running the ball for the, for the Bengals. And that's what drove down their EPA per play. And it was really just some conversions they weren't making. They failed to convert running the ball on third and five, on third and two, on two third and ones. And that really just killed their EPA per play uh, running the ball in those circumstances. And we saw often how both of these teams were being too conservative on fourth downs, especially getting closer for some of these field goals that were being missed over and over and over again. Uh, just a shout out to Jamar Chase. He's probably the guy to highlight here. Continues to kill. He's fifth amongst NFL wide receivers in yards per route run as a rookie at 2.9 yards. He did have one drop, but he also made some big, big plays down the season, uh, down, the, down the field. He was open on another play where Burrow uh, didn't, 
wasn't able to get it to him because he had pressure coming right up the gut on that one. Um, but it's only a second drop on the season. So he had that drop, but it's only a second one after having, I think he dropped, you know, three out of the first five passes that were thrown to him in the preseason. So that has adjusted well going forward for him. All right. We've come to the first game of my four plays here. And that is Texans at home versus the Patriots. This was one that uh, the Patriots win 25, 22, but it closed at negative at minus 7.5 for the Patriots. I told you to bet Houston at plus nine. So it did move down. I think based upon offensive line woes for, for the Patriots and the adjusted score on this one was Patriots only by, by less than one point. So this one, I'm going to give myself credit here because I had, like I mentioned, the Texans plus nine. This is my lame cash cash machine there. So that's the first one there. And let's look at some of the results here. New England continuing just to run the ball like crazy. They were 12% under expectation on their pass rate, which is something they had been doing pretty consistently until they faced the Bucks and they had to throw the ball a lot. Um, their run, they, you know, they only passed the ball 52%, despite the fact they were down most of this game here. They had a higher success rate, 50% to 39%. That's mostly because the Texans were awful running the ball at 19% success rate running the ball, which is like a bottom five percentile type of outcome. You know, Davis Mills was balling, and it's kind of sad that they lose this game after he had been balling here because the Texans had a couple of major mistakes. They did this weird... We're going to fake the punt, but then we're not. And then we punt it into the back of a blocker's head and we get zero yards in the punt. That was a big negative play for them. And then they also had a negative where they could have just let the Patriots score earlier and gotten the ball back with more time near, near the end of the game. So if you look at Davis Mills, though, 80th percentile as far as his grade, 0.47, so basically 0.5, half a point EPA per play. It's awesome. Um, he was kind of rough under pressure, but he was only pressure rate was only 25%. He did take three sacks, though. So that's what killed him under pressure there. Zero turnover with the plays. He had some big plays in late downs, right? They converted all three fourth downs. They had about 17.8 EPA on late downs versus only six for the Patriots. So that's really where they made plays there. Again, that's a little bit more variable, but they made the plays in that one. Uh, Damian Harris had a big fumble in this one. I think that's the one play in this game where it was a little bit questionable, right? As he was going to the end zone on a reversal. So if you add that back to the Patriots, that's how the game ends up being very close in our, in my uh, game grades, despite the fact that it looked like the Texans were dominating for the entire game. But again, that was pretty easy. Uh, really no doubt in that one, the Houston plus nine the entire time. Okay, let's go to Jacksonville versus Tennessee. Don't spend too much time on this one, honestly. You know, Urban Meyer still surviving, uh, surviving over there. Uh, there's been, have you ever watched any of this pictures in the sideline where the players would come to the sideline and Myers looking to congratulate them? Uh, I've never seen less enthusiastic reactions from, from players, uh, to the head coach. And I think with Meyer is like, after every bad play, does he have to do that thing where he puts his head down and he's like staring into the ground into the abyss? I mean, pep up a little bit here, buddy. Uh, anyway, so they lose 37, 19 pretty significantly. Uh, Tennessee was a four and a half point favorite now the adjusted score is pretty close on this one i only had them as adjusted score of winning by four points so this is kind of like a push type of game despite the fact that they easily covered according to the number uh jacksonville actually had a better success rate but they lost a fumble returned for a touchdown dan arnold caught the ball uh he fumbled and uh, brought back for a touchdown there was a meaningless int at the end uh at the very end of the game where lawrence is trying to score which kind of figures into the fact that they didn't have getting points on that drive even though they could have uh, the Jacksonville had 11 negative 11 EPA on late downs versus positive nine for the Titans. So again, that's a huge flip there, which made this more of a digression in this game than what it really was. 11 percent sack rate in this game for Tannehill continues to be one of the worst in the league. He already had the lowest, the most EPA lost on sacks, including three strip sacks, the so fumbles on those but he just continues to take sacks at an extremely high rate. Uh, what's also interesting in this one is both teams tried to pound the rock. I know Urban Meyer, I was going to recancel him, but he's already been canceled, so I don't need a double cancellation. 
for his statement about wanting to have 200, ideally wanting to have 250 passing yards and 250 rushing yards. Yeah, they were uh, 8% under expectation, despite the fact that they were trailing a lot of this game in their pass rate. The Titans were 11% under expectation. So both of these teams were just running and running, and they were running well. But even Jacksonville had a higher success rate there. But because of these big plays and the inability to convert third downs for Jacksonville and fourth down on that play to Carlos Hyde uh, running the ball, because of that, their EPA was much lower, even though their success rate was higher running the ball. Um, so Tannehill, Tannehill had great numbers, though. So all the third down pickups that they had, and I mentioned earlier how they gained nine EPA on, on late downs, all the third down pickups were Tannehill passing the ball on fourth and two. Tannehill picked it up on a scramble. and. Henry really derived his efficiency, which was still good in this game because he scored from the 10 and from the nine yard line where you don't expect a score on those plays, although, you know, they're inside the 10. So it wasn't like busting a 90 yard run or something like that. Tannehill ended with 0.4 EPA per play. Again, he ended up with a top grade as he has many times this year. So Tannehill just continues to to do well and, um, largely slept on people are not even really including him in top 10 quarterback with all the quarterbacks emerging this year, despite the fact that he is playing pretty well. Okay. Before we get to the next game, and that's one of the plays that I had this week, I just want to quickly highlight again, PFF, uh, PFF subscriptions, all the information that I'm using in this, you're going to find at PFF. And once again, promo code unexpected to show people appreciation for the pod and the work that I'm putting in here. Promo code unexpected, 25% off any PFF subscription. Okay, let's get into the next one. So the next game here is Minnesota versus Detroit. Uh, 1917 is the final score. Minnesota wins. It closed as Detroit being a 10-point underdog, although it was 9.5 when I talked to you last week. The adjusted score here, Minnesota 23-16. So, you know, it was... It was, you know, close, getting up close to that nine points, but it wasn't. And we had plus nine and a half as a play. Okay, so let's go in here to say that, again, this was not as as easy of a cover, even though it looks superficially like they only lost by two points and they had a nine, they were nine and a half point underdog. Um, the Lions offense was just putrid. That was part of the problem. The defense played well, offense putrid, 35% success rate. Negative four, negative 0.4 EPA per dropback. Awful, awful numbers for the Lions. Uh, and they gained 7.5 EPA on penalties. So they were kind of lucky to get that. Now, they did have a costly interception that was not great as a turnover-worthy play, but it was kind of a forced play from Goff. So I adjust for that a little bit, but it probably should be harsher even on Goff in that way. Uh, four sacks and 11 EPA loss for Goff too. So just way too many sacks. Again, that passing office could not get anything going. Cousins had a grade of 88.5 in this game. Goff was at 50. Uh, the EPA for Cousins was actually positive 0.2 per dropback. So the fact that it was this close is very, very weird. Now, the Vikings just could not run the ball at all, per usual. Um, and it was kind of, the, it, was the re- it was the reverse for the Lions. They had a good rushing offense and poor passing offense. And, you know, Greg Joseph made the 54-yarder to winner, winner, to win it, but he did miss a 49 yarder earlier in the game. So it's kind of net negative between those two plays as far as what he added. And again, that's another reason why the game grades that I have had a higher differential than what the final score was, but we will take the win. Um, I just think for Minnesota, they really need to get that running game going again, because, you know, they're just going to refuse to, to pass the ball. And if they're going to refuse to pass the ball, then they're going to need to be able to run the ball effectively or things are going to struggle, right? They're just going to struggle this year if they can't turn that going forward. If you look at the pass rate versus expectation, they were still under expectation this game, although their expectation was pretty low because they were winning for a lot of the game. Okay, next one. Pittsburgh versus the Denver Broncos. Pittsburgh at home. They ended up winning by eight points. Uh, This line moved a bunch. I think it started with Pittsburgh being a one-point favorite, and then it moved over to Denver being a a one-and-a-half-point favorite once Teddy Bridgewater was in there. The adjusted score, I have the a a five-point differential, 24-19, so a little bit lower than the eight-point differential, but close. I mean, the Steelers, they just ran the crap out of the ball, which you do not expect from them going forward. They had a 43% pass rate in this game, 15% under expectation. They haven't had a single game where they were 10% below pass expectation since 2019 when Big Ben wasn't even there. 
you know, they've just been a team that's passed the ball a lot for many, many years. So this was a big difference from them. And, you know, they still weren't really good at running the ball. It's just the Broncos offense couldn't do anything. So they were able to continue doing that. They had a 31% success rate running the ball. They were losing a 10th of a point every single time they ran the ball by EPA. But the Broncos were even worse running the ball. They were at 23% success rate, and they were losing more than a tenth of a point. Uh, this is the best dropback EPA in a game, so passing EPA, really, for the Steelers since early 2019. Okay, uh, A lot of big conversions. They had a third and seven for the 50-yard touchdown to Deontay Johnson. They converted to third and 10. They converted to third and 15 with the DPI, uh, defensive pass interference in the end zone, to Deontay, so they got a ton of points there. Uh, they really neutralized the pass rush of the Broncos. This is something that I mentioned in the preview that I was a little bit concerned about is that, you know, Big Ben gets rid of the ball so quickly. He was, his, his time to throw in this one was 2.1 seconds. So, so fast. I mean, as fast as of anyone on the week, um, there's only six pressures that the Broncos generated and he just, just didn't pass the ball often either. They were able to be ahead and run the ball. So only six pressures, no sacks, one hit on Ben Roethlisberger this entire game. Now, the thing, the reason the adjusted score is closer on this one, despite the fact that the Steelers were kind of better in every single category, was the fact that Ben did have two turnover-worthy plays that did not end up being interceptions. He threw it right into the arms of a linebacker multiple times that were dropped and not intercepted. So that's what brings it closer together there. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater also had two, but one of them wasn't really that bad, honestly, down the sideline. And another one was a desperation fourth down at the end of the game with only 17 seconds left. Which, hey, you don't want to throw an interception, but you don't want to like take a sack or do something else on that type of play. So, you know, it's a little bit make or break time for this Broncos offense, which looked really good, you know, the first few weeks. But in this one, they weren't able to get things going. And I just think it was a poor matchup for the Broncos defense because of the fact that Big Ben got rid of the ball so quickly and they made a few big plays. Uh, I don't think it was as bad of a loss as some people may see this one at least from the Broncos defensive perspective, you know, when you give up those third downs, those big third downs, that's what's going to end up happening to you on defense and you can't get pressure. Uh, but the Broncos offense is really the question mark here with all of the injuries. And, you know, Albert O was out for this one too. So no Jerry Judy, no KJ Hamler, no Albert O. It's a offensive receiver core and, and they can't run the ball and they can't run the ball. It was an offensive receiver core that looked deep going into the season, which is now looking been after all of these injuries. Jerry Judy hopefully will be back sometime in the not too distant future. Okay. Tampa Bay versus Miami. This was an 11 point. They ended up being 11 point favorite. I think there were 10 when we talked on Friday last week. They win 45 17, a total wipeout. The adjusted score a little bit closer. It was like more like a 12 point game. Uh, 38 to 26 is the adjusted score there. Uh, I mean, 38 is a big number, so I know they got 45. So even having the adjusted number at, at 38 is pretty good because it's just hard to get a higher number than that when you're discounting the outlier explosive plays to a degree. They had a 62.5% success rate, uh, 0.35 EPA per play. Awesome numbers, fourth best of the year of any offense in any game so far this year. Uh, and two of the better games above them are Kansas City Chiefs games. So it kind of shows you that, you know, other than some kind of ridiculous Mahomes, Kansas City offense games, the Tampa Bay uh, offense in this one was next and against a solid Miami defense, at least a solid against the past Miami defense. Um, now, Miami ended up having, having a better adjusted score because they were in the mid 20s versus their 17 points because the success rate was also higher at 51 percent. There was an interception that went through Waddle's hands that ended up being intercepted. They had a fumble on a strip sack, which. When you're Jacoby Brissett, those things tend to happen to you, but I discount that a little bit. Um, and they had these other sacks that drove down their efficiency. Again, Brissett is just not playing high-end play, but they were able to matriculate the ball down the field much better against a weakened secondary than you would have thought. Uh, 5.7 average depth of target for Brissett and Brady 10.6. Again, Brady, I mean, just amazing game for Brady, right? He continues to be head and shoulders above everyone else as far as his grade is concerned this season. Uh, amazing play under pressure, the best play under pressure this season. I mean, this week by EPA per play, uh, just a monster, monster game for him. He's creeping up the EPA numbers here, getting into the top five there too, uh, amongst quarterbacks. And again, he still stands far above everyone else at number one. Okay. Next game, Redskins, the Redskins. I keep saying that the Washington football team at home against the saints. 
to the uh, cash machine on this one too. Now, this wasn't the greatest victory maybe here because I recommended taking the Saints at minus two and a half. I said, do not take three, minus two and a half. Uh, they win 33 to 22, but the adjusted score, they won by, it was more like 22-19, so three points. So again, scraping by. So this is a little bit of a lucky cover here. Um, three victories in a row, though. I'll take that in the morning slate. Uh, it's a weird, weird game, generally, because a lot of these things are going to be discounted in my game grade formula, right? Uh, it gives a very low-scoring game, according to my game grades, versus ended up being a 55-point game, 55 points game in actual score, and that's because a lot of these weird, weird plays. There's a Hail Mary to end the first half for the Saints. There was a long touchdown, a 70-something-yard touchdown to Deontay Harris before that. Um, and Jameis on the bad side, you know, he had a strip sack that he, that he lost, which was kind of bad. He had an interception on a play that actually looked like it could have been a, a touchdown to Taysom Hill if he got it there. But then Andres Pete, who's been, which is awful, like one of the worst grades, they can't protect Jameis, and that's a problem here, um, was pushed back into Jameis, so he couldn't get enough oomph on the ball. So it was actually not as bad of an interception as you may have thought. Like a lot of people thought Jameis was Jamesing when he threw the interception. And he had the strip sack. But what I liked is that they said, you know what? We're going to turn it over to Jameis a little bit more in this game. Remember, this is something that I've been complaining about was that they were way under expectation, the lowest pass rate under expectation in the NFL going into this game. They were 8.5% over expectation in this game. So yes, ride the Jameis roller coaster. Yes, you get the interception, you get the strip sack fumble, but you also get these big high-end, high-end plays. Um, another play, which is lucky for the football team uh, for Washington was the fact that they converted a fourth and 15 on a roughing the punter. How often do you see that happen? Right. Um, Taylor Heineke just started doing more of his bad Heineke. He got lucky, not throwing as many turnover, worthy, not having turnover worthy plays turn into interceptions last week, this week, a couple bad INTs. He had a couple of additional turnover worthy plays, uh, 45 passing grade. One of the worst of the week. He now ranks 32nd in the NFL. Um, amongst 35 quarterbacks who qualify with enough dropbacks, 32nd in grade and 20th in EPA per play. So he's had a bunch of turnover with the plays. They finally are turning into uh, actual turnovers in this game. And those were ugly turnovers too that he, that he had. Uh, his turnover with the play rate, so the percentage of turnover with the plays per uh, plays that he's involved in, is behind only Jimmy Garoppolo and Trevor Lawrence. He's the third worst in that category. So the Saints actually had a low success rate in this game, but they benefited from these long touchdowns. Uh, especially running the ball, they did not do well, only at 28%. But again, they finally were passing the ball more often, which ended up being key for them. Uh, football team, again, they stink on late downs. They cannot convert late downs. It's a problem they've had all year. They were 6 of 19 on third and fourth down, negative 12 EPA. But what they did in this game, and I'm not sure if it's them fixing something or the fact that the Saints have such a bad offensive line, is they actually got pressure, 65% pressure rate on Jameis. Now, Jameis didn't have a ton of plays. The Saints ran so many fewer plays because of the fact they had the long plays, but he was under pressure constantly. So in some ways, it's good that Jameis didn't have even more mistakes than what we saw here. Um, roughly equal time to throw on this, 65 between Heineke and Winston, 65% pressure rate for Winston, only 34% for Heineke. Okay, uh, Panthers and Eagles. So 21-18 Philadelphia uh, the Panthers were two and a half point favorites. The adjusted score is actually 17, 12 towards Carolina. So this is another game with a big flip there. So anyone who ended up betting, uh, Panthers got kind of unlucky on this one. You could say ugly game, but an unlucky, ugly loss. And then anyone who bet the Eagles on this one, you know, you, you, you kind of got lucky. Um, so I was watching a lot of red zone this morning. So I'm going to cop to the fact that I haven't seen a lot of this because the teams were just not doing anything, especially the Philadelphia offense was not doing anything in the first half. Uh, total success rate of 31% for Philadelphia, negative 0.4 EPA per play, just yuck, yuck. And then Carolina was 37%, so a little bit better, and negative 0.35 EPA per play. So because of that, that's one of the big reasons that Carolina is better in the adjusted game grades is they had a little bit better success rate, although both bad. A little bit better EPA per play, although both bad. So Philadelphia continues to throw over expectation, and their passing offense was bad. So this is one of the few times I saw uh, Greg Rosenthal mention on Twitter, I thought an interesting comment, where he was saying this. One of the few times he's like, hey, maybe this team could run the ball more. And maybe that was the case for Philly, because they were really struggling. Um, the problem with Carolina, and this is when the bad Darnold came out, right? So Darnold is like on the precipice of making a bunch of bad plays when he's under pressure. 
but they hadn't happened. They hadn't translated that much into the actual bad plays, but this game, they started to come through Uh, three interceptions. They lost about 13 EPA on those uh, 58% pressure rate on Darnold. So the offensive line fell apart a little bit when they weren't playing from this perfect circumstance where they could run the ball very well. Uh, In clean pocket, he had positive EPA under pressure, really, really negative 4.8 yards per attempt. It was just really, really ugly. Although Hertz was only a little bit above five. So it wasn't that much better for him either. Uh, I think from the defensive side, something to watch for Philadelphia, the pressure they were able to get here. Javon Hargrave has been awesome all season. He had six pressures and a sack. So he continued there. Fletcher Cox, you know, getting into his thirties there, huge contract. He had been one of these guys were questioning whether he was still playing at a high level or not. Seven pressures and a sack. He had an 81.2 grade and he hadn't had a grade over 65 prior to this game. So Fletcher Cox with a bounce back game here, if he and Hargrave can provide that interior pressure going forward, um, this defense could be pretty good because obviously they got problems on the back end. So people criticize the zone defense that they're playing, leaving things too open. So, you know, some some issues on the back end, but if they can continue to get that interior pressure, I think they can be a force going forward. It's just, they got lucky in this particular game coming up with the win and, and the cover. Okay, Raiders, Bears, another ugly game that I didn't see a lot of, ended up being 20 to nine. Raiders, I don't want to, I'm not going to talk too much about the Gruden situation here. You know, Sayonara to John. And if you want to hear anything insightful on this, I suggest you listen to, you know, Bomani Jones or Mina Kimes or, or one of those commentators who have something better to, to say than I would about any of these circumstances because I'll echo anything that they're saying here. Um, so the bears continued with a very, very conservative game plan. As I mentioned last week, when they ended up, uh, winning the game against the lions, they really had the perfect game plan for fields, meaning really, really conservative. And they did this again, 40% pass rate. They were 33% the week before. So 40% pass rate, 12% under expectation. Uh, the total offensive success rate for the bears was pretty good at 48%, but the EPA numbers were negative. Uh, because they could not convert on third down. So those are their big problems there. Fields, you know, didn't have any big negatives, but he didn't really do anything either. Unlike the long passes that he had the week before, he didn't have any great pass plays in this one. And he was getting the ball out really quickly for him, avoiding the rush. Only 22% pressure rate with a bad offensive line that can't really pass block. And 2.3 seconds time to throw. This is, you know, Fields is a guy who was consistently over three. So he was getting the ball out much quicker in this game. Uh, as far as what the Raiders are concerned, I mean, just, you know, bad across the board and everything they were doing offensively, they still can't run the ball worst running offense in the NFL. And then they had problems here on being able to get any conversions here on offense. Uh, so a little bit of a, you know, big warning sign flashing here with such a dominant figure like Gruden leaving where say what you will about this other stuff. He had the offense doing pretty well and car playing pretty well for at least the first few games, first handful of games of the season. And obviously the worst offensive performance possible here. I didn't mention my adjusted game grade. So uh, uh, Vegas was a five and a half point favorite. And my game grade had this as 26-18 or 26-19 for Chicago. So I had them being about seven points better in this game. Okay, so now we go to Arizona versus San Francisco. Yeah, blew this one. So this was the the loss. And, you know, I'm I'm trying to be process oriented here and not get too caught up in the results here. And it ended up closing at five and a half. I said for Arizona, the five and a half point favorite, they win 17-10. So they cover that. And they also cover the four and a half, which I said I like. Oh, actually, no, I had five and a half. San Francisco, five and a half. Um, so the adjusted score, though, here, I had 24 to about 20 and a half. So like three and a half, four points at worst. So again, you know, I want to critique myself when I win lucky ones, when you lose ones that look like more like pushes, at least maybe this wasn't an obvious win that you should have gotten for San Francisco, but look more like pushes. I'm just going to mention that too, even though this is logging as a loss in a three and one week. Um, So success rates, 45% versus 41%. So both good, not great. Uh, Actually, when you say good, not great, both just pretty average and poor. And the EPA here were also negative for both teams. Uh, the fumble for Carolina, so that was a really, not Carolina, for the Cardinals was a really bad play, but they're offset by 
you know, they, they had like bad fourth down luck, right. For the, for the 49ers. So the, the Cardinals lost a fumble, which was a little bit fluky there, but the 49ers bad fourth down luck. They failed on fourth and one twice, once at the goal line that we saw where, you know, if Lance could have just extended that ball a little bit, we could have got something there. They, they also failed to convert a fourth and two and a fourth and four negative 14 EPA in total on late downs. They couldn't convert any of those, right? Huge, huge problem. Big struggle game for Trey Lance. Only completed 50% of his passes. He scrambled the ball. He scrambled six times because he's just not comfortable going through his reads and finding someone there. 3.4 time to throw. Just bad, bad across there. And he ran the ball, I think, somewhat effectively, but he was still taking probably too many hits on those runs. I didn't like to see him take as many hits as he was for a guy who didn't quite know what he was doing. Uh, this was the second worst game for Kyler in terms of EPA per play, but it was really his worst game because in the Minnesota game, which is his worst game in EPA per play, in that one, he had these massive negative plays, these interceptions, where he had 15 EPA that he lost on a pick six and some other interceptions. This one, he didn't have the interceptions. He just didn't have explosive, like really, really explosive plays. Uh, they had some decent plays to Rondell Moore where he was doing his, his thing and, and causing you know, wreaking havoc and scoring long touchdowns, but it wasn't really Kyler deriving a lot of that. So this was definitely the worst game for Kyler. No, I'm not too concerned. I think one of the reasons I like San Francisco in this game, plus the points is I believe in that defense. So I think that defense is strong. So it was a, it was a good victory for the Cardinals just to get the win here, but a little bit of concern about the offense, not playing at a very high level here um, as you would have expected. All right, I'm going to hit uh, one more ad here, and that is the good old Manscaped. It's football season. You know what that means. It means we're going for two here with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through hairs has never been easier, and it's time for you to join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using promo code PFF. You get 20% off and free shipping. The brand new Lawnmower 4.0, not one, not two, not three, 4.0 is here to take your defense to the next level. This fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch, and gives you the ability to turn on a light. And you know what? Waterproof. I mean, it's got everything. Rain, sleet, snow, or no match for this. 20% off and free shipping using promo code PFF. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Use promo code PFF. F F. All right. So we got uh, one more game to go through here. And uh, before I hit this last game, I'm also going to mention PFF subscriptions, 25% off through the end of November promo code unexpected. So use that unexpected promo code. Show your love. Uh, Dallas versus the giants, 44 to 20, uh, you know, a lot going on here. There were seven point favorites. My adjusted score actually had this quite a bit closer, only about like a nine, 10 point difference in here um you know dallas had a 52 percent success rate which is really good but you know the cowboys 50 percent pass rate so it was it was up um but in a pretty big victory which was interesting there but the thing is they had a lot of late down epa and that's why the adjusted score is a little bit closer they had some luck on late downs they gained about 12 epa on late downs um there was a Dak lost five EPA on a fumble. That was another bigger play. Um, the big storyline here is Daniel Jones injured. Saquon Barkley injured. Jones out probably another week. Barkley looks like he's out two, three weeks. Um, but the game was basically 10 to 10 when Jones went, went down. I mean, they scored on the next play on fourth down to make it 10 to 10. So while Dallas poured it on, a lot of that was against Glennon. Um, but this, you know, the Dallas offense is doing, is doing great so far this year, right? I think you have to look at that and say, you know, Dak Prescott is playing up to his contract, right? He's kind of a top 10 guy by EPA and by grade so far this year. He's got this monster, monster deal, but they also have the offensive pieces around him. Dalton Schultz continues to be a really nice third wheel there um, in that passing offense, along with CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. And then on the other side, we saw the emergence of Kadarius Toney. Now, Tony was a player that a lot of people were skeptical of because of his poor production in college at an older age, any sort of model-based system would have been down on him. Now, a lot of people can say, oh, you can't model what he can do, you know, his, his unique playmaking ability and shiftiness. And that's true. Uh, but he also didn't catch the ball down the field much in college. So it's something where maybe you could be 
optimistic that he's going to continue to do that. He'll not continue, but that he'll start doing that in the NFL. But it's not something that is a safe projection to make, to just assume that that is going to happen. So if he does, you know, tip the cap, good luck to him. But let's also remember it took um, injuries to two of the top three receivers to get Tony on the field enough that he's able, actually able to make some plays here. So I wish him success going forward, but let's not victory lap maybe a little too quickly there on Tony. Uh, looked at the numbers for our coming Thursday night game, Tampa Philly. Uh, Tampa is a seven point favorite. I'm not going to have a play on this one. Um, Philly, I think what will be interesting is if they can get some real pressure on the interior on Brady, because we've always heard that's the problem. So again, that's going to be the matchup. Hargrave, Cox versus the interior offensive line, which has been okay for Tampa. But if they can get that pressure on Brady, maybe you can you know, bother him a little bit, but the connection that he seems to have going with the wide receivers, whether it's Evans, whether it's Brown, whether it's Godwin, any of those guys there has just been so, so good. Uh, Tampa seven point favorite, which I thought it might even be higher than that, but seven point favorite. I think some people are recognizing the fact that Jalen Hurts maybe isn't bad. He isn't great. He isn't, you know, elite, but he isn't bad there. So he, so, so that's why it's only seven there and the problems that they're having as far as the secondary for Tampa, but I'm not going to lean either way on that one. Okay, everybody, rate and review the pod. Go ahead and leave there. Uh, promo code unexpected at PFF for a discount on your subscription. I want to thank everyone for tuning in, and I'll be talking at you on Friday with my best bets for the week and a preview of every game. Thanks so much.